Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Chef. I love chatting with him. He's been featured all over the place. He's been on the New York Times, CNN, Soul Pancake, and the work that he's doing is incredible. I was so shocked by how much he knew about me and the podcast, my own personal story. I was so surprised and he was just a joy to interview. He has this incredible story of how he went on this journey to figure out how can I get paid to be me? So he goes and he asks his friends, you know, what do I bring to this world? What do I bring to our relationship? And all his friends are like, say, you know, Jeff, you taught me how to play again. You bring so much joy. You know how to have fun. And you taught me how to connect with my inner child. And he's like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And he started his company, Rediscover Your Play. We talk about what is play? How can we connect with our inner child? How can we incorporate more play into our everyday lives? How play can make us more productive? And we go into some of his relationship tips. I asked him what he learned from all his work in positive psychology that can help us in our relationships and so much more. So let's get started. So thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. We'd love to know the backstory on you. Give me some, tell me what you were like as a child. Did you always think you would get into the career path you have today? What was that journey like for you? Sure. So I saw the movie Big as a kid with Tom Hanks. And it was a, it's this movie about a kid who wishes he was an adult. And when he does that, you know, he becomes an adult. And then he walks into a toy store and he's like dancing on this piano. And the CEO of this toy company is like, starts dancing with them and then they play chopsticks together. It's like a very famous scene of like movie cinema. And then the guy offered him a job to play with toys at his toy company. And as soon as I saw that, I started writing toy companies. Like this was third grade and I just kept writing them. I wrote them all the way through high school. I even got a letter back from one toy company telling me to go to mechanical engineering. I should have never listened to them, but I did. Went to school, graduated, and then finally got in the toy industry. And I don't know if you've ever gotten something that you wish, like you always wanted, and then you get it. 
and it's nothing like you expected it to be. And you're so disappointed, but that's how I felt. Like there was no play. There was no fun. There were no high fives. There were no kids. It was just like, we might as well have been selling microwaves. Like it just really was nothing like a playful environment, even though we were making toys. So I remember leaving New York, coming to the San Francisco Bay area, bumping into an organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. And there were like seven nerdy people at the company at the time. And then I helped grow it into like the largest like Lego inspired STEM education company like in the US for like in the next 15 years. And we went from like seven people to 400 people. But the crazy part about it is we had no idea what we were doing. We were just making it up as we went along. And we were just doing what we thought was most fun, what most playful. Like, let's hire this person because they're super fun. Let's choose to go to this city because it's super fun. Who wants to go to New York? Awesome. Who wants to go to Wyoming? Nobody. Okay, we're not going to go there. Like, that's how we made all of our decisions. We were just like saying yes to anything. And I remember we had grown it really big and then Silicon Valley started noticing like Facebook, Google, Adobe, you know, all of them. And they were like, hey, do you do team building events? And we were like, yeah, of course we do. We had never done one in our life, but of course we just said yes to everything, right? You're just, and then we'd have to make up what a team building event was like. And then I remember doing that over like the next six or seven years. And as I was doing it, I realized all these Silicon Valley companies talked about taking risks and collaboration, communication, thinking outside the box, innovation, like all these buzzwords, but these were not playful environments. Like they had not created a place for people to actually be themselves, take risks and be who they are. So I created Rediscover Your Play as a way to tackle some of their hardest issues, like toxicity at work, who is the a-hole, at work? How do you deal with office politics? How do you deal with racism or talk about racism? How do you talk about something like the election at work? You know, because I wanted us to figure out a way in which to create a safe space for people to play so they could get along and actually produce good work. And what is play? I define play as any joyful act where you're like fully present in the moment, where you forget about time. It has no purpose. You're not focused on any results. You don't have an anxiety about the future. You don't have any regrets about the past. You're just fully in love with where you're at at that very moment in time. And you know you're in a state of play or a state of flow because you reckon, you, don't, you forget about time. Like you just get so enthralled in whatever you're doing. And then you're like, oh man, this is just me being me. And how did you get into like this line of work of, going into rediscovering your plate. Like, is anyone else doing this? Did you just like come up with the whole thing? Uh, I, or? Think, I mean, some of my, some of my friends that are also in the play community are doing versions of this, but the, here, here's an interesting thing that I found out, and this will help your listeners is so when I, and I do this with a lot of my clients, when I was first trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? Like, what in the world do I do in this world? Right. Because it's like Howard Thurman says, like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is for more people to come alive, right? So I'm like, what makes you come alive? Like, I don't know. So I asked these two questions to my friends, which now I, I have my clients do. And the first question 
Uh, well, you go to, you find three to five of your friends and you ask them, what value do I bring to your life? Like, like, why are we friends? Like, what do I do for you? Because a lot of times we don't even know the effect we're having on people, right? And then the second question I ask is like, when have you seen me most alive, like most joyful, most playful, most present, right? And just hearing some of the question answers back, I kept hearing people say like, you help me to play again. You help me to rediscover myself again. You help me, you know, when I'm around you, because you're so ridiculous and usually wearing like a Lego bow tie, you give permission for others to play. And I kept hearing the word rediscover over and over and over again. And I was like, is that what I do? I mean, I guess that's what I do. And I was like, I help people rediscover themselves, but how do I do it? Oh, I do it through play, through like a lot of play experiments, because in my belief is, and my friends told me this, is that I help people tap back into their inner child. And by playing more and more, you actually start to figure out again what you love to do. I think a lot of us forgot that when we started acting like adults, right? And we lost that. And the, and the, the, the greatest gift is the fact that your inner child is always there just waiting for you to play with it again. And what was the process like for you to reconnect with your inner child? Ooh, should I share my shit story? <laughs> I can share my shit story. Why don't I share my shit story from when I was 13? This is the short, short version as I, as I have done this for like story time, you know, for story shows. I was 13 years old and all I wanted to do was play. This was seventh grade. Right. And I don't know if you remember seventh, <clears throat> seventh grade, but I had, maybe I was 12, but I remember just wanting to play four square and I'm just obsessed with four square. So I remember coming out of the playground first day of seventh grade and I'm like, who wants to play four square? And I'm like, so excited. And I go up to like Matt and Jimmy and I'm like, you want to play four square? And I remember them saying to me, um, no, no, of course not. No, but do you know that Ryan is dating Samantha and and Charlie's dating like Ruth? And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Do they want to play Foursquare? Because I'm just trying to get a count of how many people want to play. And they were. And what I had realized was everyone had now was now playing this new game, which was being cool. And I didn't understand it. I was just like, why is everyone acting like like you know? Like in a way that didn't even make sense to me. It just seemed like absurd. Um, but then, you know, no one was by Foursquare. So every day I would go out and no one was there. And I would go out and no one was there. And then finally it was just like, oh, well, I was still want to belong. I still want to connect with people. So I remember, you know, being like, okay, like Jimmy, like what do I need to be cool? And they were like, you need bangs. That's what you need. If you get bangs, then you'll be cool. Because bangs, for at least in seventh grade, grade during my time guys that had bangs get were able to get all these women and they flick their bangs out of their way like justin bieber like like you know so and i am a black filipino kid so i have this mushroom fro hair so i remember being like this is impossible but i i still was just like but i just want to be cool so i remember stealing my sister's vidal sassoon moose and I put so much of it in my hair and I shoved it down to make this like frozen bang. And no one told me this, but, 
but apparently moose dries up. So by like fifth period, my bang had become like this raccoon's butt just coming out of my forehead. And I was just doing anything that I could to just gain like acceptance. And then I remember it was, it was near the end of the year. I was con- con- feeling like a loser the whole time. And then they mentioned, I think it was Jimmy or Matt was like, oh, there's this pool party that Ryan is having. And anyone that's anyone is going to be there, right? And I was like, oh, I got to get to this pool party. If I could do anything to get to this. And I remember asking all these people because it was like invite only, which is ridiculous for seventh grade. But I remember asking Antonio Santiago and Joey Villa Gomez, can I go with them? And they were like, maybe. And I had to like pass notes for them and buy their lunch and just basically kiss up to them and do whatever I could to just like, you know, be their friend and so I could get accepted, right? And then the night of the party, I'm actually going and I'm so amped and we're driving there and I'm singing, like I'm going to go to the pool party. I'm so excited. And I remember we parked like 20 feet from the pool party and I remember getting out and throwing my tolo towel over my shoulder and we're all like walking all slow motion to it and I remember there was like commotion happening in front because it was like such a big party and I saw Ron and Mark and someone else there and they weren't being led in the party and they happened to be black and all of a sudden I saw a scuffle happen And someone that was blocking everyone to get in the party was just like, get the fuck out of here. We're not letting any niggers in this party. And when they said that, I was like, like, am I a nigger? Like, I'm black. Like, I'm not going to get let in. Like, oh, oh. And I froze. And I felt like water like lifted up to my knees and just froze right there and I couldn't move. And we're like five feet away from the entrance. Antonio turns to me and he's just like, you know, come on, man, we're going to be fine. And I'm like, we're not going to be fine, dude. You know, you're going to get let in, but I don't even know how to get home from here. And I remember getting to the front entrance and then looking at Antonio and looking at Joey and then looking at me. And they were like, is he black? And they were like, no, he's Latino. And I remember thinking like, don't say anything. Don't say anything and you're in. And then you're in, man. And then they were like, they just gave this nonchalant, like, all right. And I remember first feeling this wave of relief as like I walked through the threshold of the door where like the party's happening and everyone's there and it's so loud. And then I got this feeling of just sheer disgust because I felt like I left myself back there. And it was like, everyone was having a good time and everyone's doing all this stuff. And I felt like shit. And I remember walking into the pool because no one was playing. Everyone was trying to be cool. And I had not felt that lonely like in my life. And I remember making a pact with myself at 13. Like, I am not gonna do this anymore i'm not gonna compromise who i am just to be cool or just to get accepted and i remember from there i remember you know in high school not going out staying in my basement making up games in my basement and then 
my friends would find out they could just come and hang out in my basement and it was a safe space for them to be themselves. And you didn't have to be cool there. And I just created games there. And what's ironic is that's exactly what I do now. I create a safe space for people to be themselves and I use play to do it. So like that is the long story of like how I was able to let go of other people's expectations. And someone who's in that place who they look at others for validation, what advice would you give them? I'd ask them, who are you trying to impress? Like, and really figure out like, oh, what am I trying to impress? Oh, I'm trying to impress someone in my high school. Oh, I'm trying to impress someone in college. Oh, I'm trying to impress someone at my work. Are you going to care about them in a year? If you're not going to care about this person in a year, then why are you trying to impress them? And frankly, you know, the only people you would want to be impressing are people that love you, but they love you anyway. So they don't need you to impress them. The only person you need to be impressing is yourself, really, right? It's just like, you know, what do I want to do today for myself? And then how do I want to show up today? And how, how do I want to feel at the end of my day, right? Viola Davis, you know, who you know, is a phenomenal actress and won an EGOT would say, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And I know so many adults, 30s, 40s, 50s, 70s, still chasing their worth, still trying to get validation from someone else. And when they talk about regrets of the dying, one of the biggest regrets people talk about is they work too much. And the second is they tried to impress people that they didn't really care about. So like, just don't make that same mistake because it's not, it's never going to bring you satisfaction. You're never going to get enough likes to bring you love, right? You're never going to get enough followers that bring you fulfillment. And if you end up constantly chasing all the followers or the downloads or whatever your measure of success is, expectations are the thief of joy and you're just going to rob yourself of all that joy. Mm -hmm. And to someone who wants to incorporate more play in their life, how can we incorporate more play into our everyday life? Sure. So um, my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, says this a lot. You can't play until you learn how to soothe yourself um, and you learn how to soothe or calm yourself down from the person that took care of you the most. So like whoever nurtured you, you actually adopted their way of nurturing right? So that's how you actually are calming yourself down. So you first have to like identify like what calms me down? What, how do I soothe myself? Right. Um, and if you think about it, when do you have your, some of your best ideas in the shower? Ah, it's calm. I'm relaxed, you know, and then all this, these ideas start popping up. Right. So you first have to identify that, figure that out for yourself. Is that walking? Is that taking showers? Is that meditation is like whatever that thing is that gets you in a, a calm state which isn't binge watching Netflix because that's still distracting, right? And then second, I challenge people to get super bored, which is really ironic about, about play. But if you think about your craziest ideas you had as a kid, it was when you were bored. You also had your most dangerous ideas, but that is like, you get to that quiet, calm, bored place. You, and the way you do that is you let, you shut off your social media, you stop binge watching Netflix. And I'm just, I'm not saying for like ever, I'm talking about like for a couple hours, right? You know, just for an hour and just like sit there or as you're walking, you know, just like, and start to listen. Because as you get bored, all of a sudden 
you'll have this inner curiosity, like this inner whisper. Your inner child is going to start saying stuff to you. And it's going to be really quiet, but it's going to say stuff like, start a podcast, you know, create a video, (laughs) write that person you've always wanted to write. Like you were interviewing, I forgot her name. I think it was Melissa who started her own company, Mm -hmm. right? And and Mm -hmm. she she was just like, the idea just popped up. And then she goes, I remember her saying like, ooh, if I don't do this idea and I see someone else do it, oh, it's just going to crush me. And what's really interesting is Elizabeth Gilbert, the famous writer, talks about this, where she believes none of us are geniuses, but genius does visit us. And we either channel it, we either create it, or it moves on to somewhere else you know, somebody else that happened to her where she was going to write a book. She didn't write the book and the idea moved on to someone else. And that happens all the time with us. So we have a choice when that inner child, that inner curiosity whispers some idea to us. Do we want to create it? Do we want to birth that idea? And all you do is you listen to that whisper and then you just follow that curiosity and just see where it takes you. If it feels good, keep doing it. If it doesn't feel good, stop doing it. But just get yourself quiet enough to hear that inner child tell you what you might want to do with your life. How can play help us be more productive? So, you know, when I work with a lot of companies, companies hate the word play. They, they hate it. They're like, we don't have time for play. We, you know, we got to hit our quarterly results. we got to do this. we got to do that. But you know what they love though? They love the word flow. They love to get people in their state of flow which is when, and um, in positive psychology, Dr. Csikszentmihalyi would say this, flow is when the difficulty of the task meets your skill level. So if you, were, if you think about when you first start a job, or let's say this podcast, when you first started this podcast, you had no idea what you're doing, right? So you had a lot of anxiety, you didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of skill. But at some point, you got a lot of skill, and then you got, uh, you know, and the difficulty was still the same, but you now have that skill, and then you fall fell into a flow state at some point you might be so good at this that the challenge won't be there anymore and you might get bored but between anxiety and boredom is this flow state and what actually happens in your brain which is super cool is your prefrontal cortex which is it it helps your inner critic the the lizard part of your brain that's that's there to protect you right you know, from like outside dangers. It's constantly racing because it's constantly trying to figure out what is the next danger coming up. But when you go from a beta state in your brain to a flow state, you go through something called transient hypnofrontinality. And that's when like a part of your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down and your inner critic dissipates. And then your implicit mind starts to pop up and you get this boost of creative energy. Um, And then all of a sudden you start seeing all these opportunities in front of you that you didn't see before because a lot of adults get fixated on one result, you know, and then when you get fixated on one result, you can't see everything else in front of you. But what you're in that flow state, you see all these opportunities in front of you, you get the shot of dopamine, and then you become intensely curious where you're open to all of these options. And, you know, I'm sure you felt that way when you first started the podcast and you were just like, oh, I could do this. Oh, I could do that. Oh, what's the name of my title? And, you know, just like you were just excited. And that is the state that a lot of companies want their employees to be in. And if you think of any startup, 
Many of the startups, when they were sitting in their garage creating, they were creating from a flow state. They were playing when they began these startups. So think about all of these companies. The companies that are having the most fun are the ones that are going to be here in the future. And what are the different types of play? That's a good question. There's, I mean, I've, I've thought of, what, this was so long ago when I thought about this, but there's like, there's like exploratory play where people are, that's what I do a lot, where you're just like, you're the, you're the person that like loves to touch the stove to see what might happen, right? You know, then there's like this type of like affirmation play where people like make something and then they're like, look, look, what do you think of this? You know, do you like it? Do you like it? You know, and then there's more like experimental play where people just like want to test things out to see what's possible. And, but which, and you, and everyone goes through these various like play modes. But I think for each individual, they have to figure out like, what did, what do they think play is? Because play is drastically different for every person. You're like, your play could be creating this podcast while someone else would be like, oh, I can't, could never do that. But they find something else that's interesting. And how can we become friends with our inner critic? Ooh, so here, let's break that down. So you first got to identify what your inner critic is. And for anyone that's like, what are you talking about inner critic? That's that mean voice in your head that is constantly insulting you. And it never goes away. It just is never going to go away. But you can play with it and become friends with it, right? So anytime you're feeling really crappy about yourself your inner critic has been on fire. It's been saying all these mean things to you. So whenever you feel crappy, you just then make yourself aware and you're like, okay, why do I feel so shitty? What have I been saying to myself? And, what, and this is so powerful. And I learned this from my friend, Marsha Shandor. You first have to write down what your inner critic is saying to you. So like write all the mean things that it's saying. Oh, you know, you're always going to be alone. Oh, you know, your, your podcast is never going to become popular. Oh, your, your videos, no one's ever going to watch them. Like whatever that thing, you're never going to fall in love. Like whatever the thing, you're going to be broke and never get another job. You got furloughed and you're like, well, no one will ever give you a new job. Like whatever the thing is saying, right, on that given day. And you write every single one of those things down. Just like keep writing them down. And then after you write them down, as you're writing them, think about what does it sound like? Like, who does it sound like? And, and who does this person or character look like, right? And here's what's powerful about doing that. Once you are able to identify what the person sounds like, what, what they look like, and also write down you know, what they're saying, you're then able to name that person or name that character. And I refer to it as a character because like with all my clients, all of them have different characters. There's Tila Tequila. There's a Frugal Frank. Mine is Gargamel. He just sucks the fun out of everything. And whenever Gargamel shows up and you're able to name that Gargamel's there, then you're able to identify, oh, these thoughts are thoughts that I used to have. These are thoughts I used to have when I was in high school or in college or when I was in grade school. Oh, these, these thoughts are coming from when I used to get bullied by Chad, this certain grade level, right? So once you identify that they're thoughts, but they're not your own thoughts, they're thoughts from the past, you're able to look at your Gargamel, your inner critic, and be like, thank you. I appreciate that you're trying to protect me right now, but you're not going to be driving the car anymore. You're going to sit in the back seat. And by simply doing that, 
you're able to then quiet your inner critic and thus you're in listen to your inner child, which is then whispering and telling you what curiosity needs to follow. And when you hear that inner child, that inner cheerleader, you know that voice, which is usually tamped down because it'll, it whispers things like, you can do this. You got this. And, and the more you're able to just address that inner critic, the more powerful your creative, powerful inner child side starts to emerge. And what if someone tells you, but Jeff, I'm not creative. I don't have an inner child. Let, let's explore that. I remember talking to a lawyer that said, I don't play, you know, I don't really play. And then I go, okay, well, what, you know, what, what do you do? You know, what do you do at your job? And she goes, well, I take people that hate each other. And then I figure out a way in which they come to some agreement. And I was like, oh, tell me more. And as she was saying it, she could see herself getting excited. And I was like, that's your play. That's your play. Like there isn't a certain way. Everyone has a different way. So everyone is creative in their own way, right? Someone might be super creative as a mathematician and they might not consider that play. They might consider only plays like someone that plays music, but it's just like, it's, it's to each their own. So I think that's the part of like exploring who you are and what your play is, you know? And if you think about it, one of the most basic questions that we ask ourselves, but we don't ask ourselves this enough and we rarely have an answer to it is what do you want? What do you want? You know, when like someone's broken up with someone who's like, I don't know what to do. And you're like, what do you want? Oh, you leave a job. I don't know what to do. What do you want? And most people don't want to explore that. But if you're able to get bored and follow your curiosity, you finally are able to discover what actually you want and what actually makes you come alive. And I would love for you to go into savoring your successes. And how do you savor your success? Ooh, so savoring is a really interesting technique that I learned a lot about it in positive psychology. So there's something super cool. You can actually elongate your life by doing this one thing, which is super interesting. If you simply watch more sunsets or sunrises, depending on whatever you do, and you just watch it, you just watch the sunset. You don't pull out your phone. You don't try to get a a selfie with it. You just, just watch sunsets for a week. What happens is your brain actually starts to strengthen its saver muscle because you're just sitting there enjoying this one thing. And as you're strengthening your saver muscle to appreciate this sunset, all of a sudden you start to appreciate other things, right? Like like imagine the next meal you have, just like slow down and just enjoy each and every bite. Take 20 bites before you swallow just like you you do it already when you travel and you're like oh my gosh this is so amazing and then we rush back to our really you know like fast lives and we're like oh i just gotta scarf stuff down and everything like that but if you're willing to just enjoy one moment you can savor so much 
So say, for example, like, you know, I don't know, I don't know who voted for who on this, this thing, but I'm savoring, savoring the fact that Biden won yesterday. You know, I am like celebrating over and over again with every one of my friends. I'm texting them. I did a dance earlier and then filmed it and sent it to a bunch of people. I am like, I'm, I'm trying to celebrate with each and every individual that I come in contact with. And just like being like, how do you feel right now? Like, how does that feel? And then I remember my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, does this technique where she has people savor together, where someone will be like, let me give an example. Like, oh, I just love, you know, like, oh, I'll, I'll give you the example of, of my colleague, Lauren, and I, when we ran this really dope workshop for this company. So we ran it, and, and at the end of it, I was just like, oh, can we just take a moment to savor and she's like, sure. And I go, okay, this is what I loved. I loved that we were on the same page. I loved how they reacted. I loved that they were all excited. I loved that they came with, up with all these ideas afterwards. And then she said to me, she, she reflected on what she appreciated about what I just said. She savored what I said, which is like, I love that you just said that. And the reason I love that you said that is because I also felt like we were on the same page. I also felt like, you know, that people were vibing and we just went back and forth over and over again, responding to each, each other's like savoring moment. And we appreciated it for like five minutes straight. And I'm not going to ever forget that, you know, and those are moments you can do any time with anything you're doing at that very moment, right? You could do that in the shower by just taking a few more minutes and enjoying it. You could do that when, you know, you're with a loved one. You can just do it anytime you want. You simply need to slow down and then just enjoy what's happening in that present moment. All your experience in like positive psychology and all the stuff you studied, is there any particular exercises or techniques you recommend for people in a relationship? Oh, romantic relationship. That's a great question. Oh, I love when I get questions I've never been asked before. Excellent. I think, I think two, I think of two. One of them is one of exploring how you got there. I think a lot of times we forget how we got to that relationship. So I think of like the relationship I'm currently in, right? I had to be in a really hard, tough relationship that ended really badly. But because of that, Then I was able to grow and then I went through other relationships. And then I remember when I finally met, you know, the person that I'm in love with, you know, we met, we just so happened to meet at a conference. My friends were running this improv workshop for all these newbies for this world domination summit that I was just going to be at. And I just so happened to choose to go to that workshop after I was on a flight after speaking to a high school and instead of going to the hotel to drop off my bag, I decided instead to go to this workshop. And I remember rolling up in my scooter luggage and then stopping the workshop and being like, Hey everyone, Jeff is here. And that's when she first noticed me. And then during the improv workshop, they had extroverts move to one side and introverts move to the other side. And based off of how much of an extrovert you were supposed to move to the very end, and the only people that were on the wall was she and I. And because of that, you know, we got to meet. And then it just so happened that she was going to go to this restaurant by herself that night. But she chose, but I, but she was just like, I'm looking for someone to go with. And I, I 
dropped everything that I was doing and being like, I'm going to go with you. And that was our first date, even though she didn't know. And I just, and you just keep going through all of the things that happened that not only just made it possible, but the probability that all of this occurred to make this possible. Right. Like, that if you were one second, if I, if I chose not to make this one decision, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe I would have never met her in my entire life. And you have to just see that and just be like, wow, it's so lucky that we got to this place. And just appreciating that and reflecting that back with your partner, you know, especially when you're in tough times, I think that's a really important thing. And I think the other part is, when you're fighting or you know you're right in the middle of fighting right you stop speaking both of you just stop speaking and you just hug each other and it's really powerful when you're just sitting there hugging each other and not saying a word i sometimes you know like like i sometimes have given this advice you know before you have an argument maybe you should have sex because what's interesting is you get all of the angst out as well, but it's this thing of like when you're actually hugging each other or doing anything that's intimate, you're also communicating to the other person of like, regardless of whatever happens from this fight, I still love you. I still care for you. And I think when we're fighting, a lot of times what we're hearing from each other is, you don't care about me. You don't love me. You hate me, right? But when you're hugging each other, then you already are feeling the action and we resonate more with action than words anyway. And that hug does wonders to address your issue. And you've been featured in some pretty like big media sites. I'd love to know any insight you have about how you got featured on all these sites. So what's interesting is, you know, I think a lot of people's, you know, come up with like a strategy. And they're like, you know, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to these certain reporters and build a relationship. And you can do it that way. You totally can, you know, you know, do all that, do all the hustle and stuff like that. But the way in which I got in, for example, to the New York Times is simply because I was at a conference. I was at that conference. At the end of the conference, I saw this one person that I was really interested in speaking with, but I never got a chance to. And I walked up to her at the end of the conference and I was like, you seem super dope, but we never got a chance to talk. And I just wanted to connect with you before this conference is over. And she just so happened to be a freelance writer, a phenomenal freelance writer. And then we, you know, connected on Instagram and we just stayed in touch. And whenever like, you know, I heard that, talking about a story and she needed help with it, I would send some sources of stuff that was like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I know someone that knows this, right? And, and that was it. And then she just so happened to be writing an article about play. And she was like, do you want to contribute to it? Because I was posting a lot of content on Instagram about it. And we were now friends. And I think the thing that we have to like consider instead of planning everything out so linearly, you know, if you look back at your life, nothing has been linear, nothing, and nothing will be linear. You know, you can't be like, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then this is what I'm going to get, right? Especially with 2020. If 2020 has taught you anything, it's just that you have to navigate this crazy uncertainty that is, you know, with this world and not be fixated on one result, right? Because then you miss out on all the other opportunities. So just simply being you and taking risks and listening to your inner curiosity. My inner curiosity is the one that told me to go talk to this person. It just so happened that that worked out, right? 
but I didn't know and I didn't plan it that way. And a lot of times people don't plan stuff. And, and I, I really want to emphasize this as someone who's built a really successful business. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. They're just making it up as they go along. And as they do, then they might turn to a camera and be like, hey, you know, this has worked out for me, so maybe try it this way. But if they're saying this is the way, they don't know what they're talking about because they don't know you. They don't know how you work, right? They have no idea how you approach it. You can't be the next Shay or the next Gary Vaynerchuk or whoever it is you want to emulate because they're doing it their way. You got to figure out how to be you, right? That's the hardest part. And my friend, Stephen Worley talks about this all the time. Like he would be like, I just want to get paid to be me. And I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. So then how do I get paid to be me? I have to figure it out for myself. I can, I can read all these books and I can listen to all these people, but at the end of the day, I have to make the choices that make me feel good. You know, I start my day by making TikToks. Is that productive? No, but I love it. It frames my day because then I see everything as play. You know, I'm, you know, now connecting with all these cool podcasters like yourself. Is that, is the ROI on this correct? I don't know. I don't know if it is, but it's fun. I love having these conversations. So, you know, I'm just following what makes me feel good and what I feel is right um, for me. And that's how I built my last business that got really big. So I'm just following that again. And I think for each and every one of us, we just have to own you know, and figure out what we want. And the way we do that is by playing enough and experimenting enough and failing enough so that we can get there. I would love for you to go into how you got the opportunity to be on Shay's podcast and maybe what's one thing you learned from her. With Shay, I just saw her on LinkedIn and I saw that she posted something and I go, hey, I'd love to be on your podcast. And then she wrote me back and then we, we got on the phone, like, I don't know, like a week later or less than a week later. And she was just like, oh, this just works out because the person I was going to interview, late. So now there's an opening. So it was as simple as that. I just reached out and asked. And I think a lot of times we make things so complicated, you know, that, that the last person that you, I'm going to get, I'm going to get her name. What was her name? Of, yeah, from college dorm room to shark tank, Melissa Barto. You know, right? Like she got to Shark Tank. Well, how'd she get mm-hmm. to Shark Tank? I remember listening to that podcast and she was saying like, I, when I was making stuff, I was just, I was carrying it in my bag and I'd go to any store and just be like, hey, are you interested? Mm-hmm. Like you should be willing to do and try out everything, right? You know, reach directly out to Shay, reach directly out to this person, reach directly out to this company. I remember I was watching a Marvel movie and at the end of the Marvel movie, it said VP of creative services on the scroll. And I was like, I'm going to reach out to that person today. And I did. And they got back to me. So you just never know what's going to happen. And that's why you need to experiment, right? You know, there isn't a certain way. You know, and anyone that's preaching to you that they know the way, especially now, especially after 2020, right? Anyone that's giving advice during the pandemic without a certain level of humility and saying, hey, this has just worked out for me. So this, you know, maybe it'll work out for you. Anyone that's like, you need to do this. You need to pivot. You need to whatever they're saying. 
I always like to turn to them and be like, wait, were you around in 1918 when there was a pandemic? Like, were you running a business back then? Because if you weren't, you need to shut up. You just need to shut up right now. You need to stop saying you're an expert at this because none of us are. Like, we're all in this uncertainty together. We're all in this shit show together. So we might as well figure out a way in which to navigate it and have fun doing it and not get so fixated on being right all the time. And what tips do you have for dealing with a toxic workplace? Toxic workplace or toxic person in the workplace? I guess we could go with both. <laughs> so, you know, if you're dealing with a, uh, I've, I've listened to this recently, like if you're dealing in a toxic work environment that you know is not going to change and it's affecting your physical health, then you really have to look at how much actually are you getting paid to be there. And what I mean by that is like, you know, I learned this from your money or your life. What is your hourly rate when you take in consideration the amount of money you've had to spend either on therapy, happy hours, <laughs> venting with your friends, you know, what all these, uh, all the costumes or the clothing that you need to buy to be a certain person there, you know, all the code switching, you take all that into consideration and be like, after you calculate all that, is it worth it still? Because you might be getting paid like, you know, $75 an hour, but you might be drinking all that away during happy hour and you're really getting paid only $10 an hour because it's so freaking stressful. And then you have to ask yourself, why am I there? What, what, what am I doing there? It's just crushing my soul, you know? And again, regrets of the dying, people, you know, saying they work too much and they were trying to impress people. So why are you there? You have to really ask yourself and then remove yourself from the situation if you can. You know, some people can't. Um, as for dealing with a toxic person, my friend Gary Ware and I run this workshop called Dealing with A-Holes at Work Through Play, right? And talk about like, we just made it up as we went along. We came up with this ridiculous idea, applied to a bunch of conferences, never thought anyone would take a conference that had A-Holes in the title, and then some of the top conferences in the world accepted us. Inbound, huge conference in marketing in Boston, uh, Pause Fest in Australia, and then South by Southwest, which is like one of the largest conferences. I think it is the largest conference in the world. So it's just like, dude, we didn't even know. We were just joking around and just making this up. And then we had fun with it, right? And in that workshop, we talk about how if you're dealing with a toxic person, there's a lot of different steps you can do. One of the steps can be if they're taking over a lot of the meetings, you need to take up that space back, right? If they're talking 80% of the time in meetings, you need to work with your colleagues and be like, we need to take up this space. So when I'm speaking, I'm going to get your back. When you're speaking, you get my back and we get each other's back. And over the next three months, we are going to occupy more words in that meeting. So that's one way, right? Another way is you can directly confront that toxic person. And not from like a mean standpoint, but first just from like setting a boundary standpoint where you'd go up to someone like Chad and be like, Chad, you know, when you cut off Samantha during the meeting, it made her not want to share, but it also communicated to all of us that you didn't want us to share either. Was that your intent? Because a lot of a-holes don't know that they're being a-holes, right? So, and then they, they'll say something back to you, either it was or it wasn't. If they're like, it wasn't my intent, but I don't care, then at that point, that's when you need to be going to their, the person they report to, their boss, 
and be like, you know what happened? Because of Chad, even though Chad's a, 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 a brilliant jerk, he's producing at a, a huge rate. Because of Chad, four of our staff have left in the last year. How much does that cost our company, right? Fortune 500 companies, uh, Sherm did a study and found out that $223 billion has been lost in the last five years just due to toxic people. And that's only companies that are willing to admit there was a toxic person. So you're going to go to your boss and be like, is it worth it to keep Chad? Or can we change Chad's behavior? Can you help me do this? Because it's destroying the team. And Simon Sinek interviewed the Navy SEALs and talked about how they will never take a prolific athlete, someone that's phenomenal and amazing in all these ways, if they're not good for the team. Because even if they're amazing, they're a brilliant jerk. They're destroying the team chemistry, which is destroying everyone's productivity, right? And then, and then finally, the biggest um, way to deal with an a-hole is you have to be able to set boundaries. And this ties into your own inner critic, your own inner a-hole. So the reason why Chad and what he's saying to you has triggered you is because a part of you believes it. A part of you believes what he says, that you might be an imposter, that you might not deserve that job, that, that he knows more than you, right? But if you're able to address your inner critic and identify like, actually, that's not true. I do deserve this job. I do deserve to get paid more than you, Chad. I am more knowledgeable than you. And you start to recognize that within yourself. The next time Chad says something disrespectful to you, you can be like, Chad, right at that moment and be like, that was super rude, dude. You know, don't ever speak to me that way. And when you do that, when you set that boundary, you give all of this bravery to everyone else to be like, damn, you know, you know, Jeff just stepped up to Chad. I can do that too. And then all of a sudden, all these people are being super boundary oriented when it comes to Chad. And then Chad has to make a decision. Does he want to stay at that organization because he can't bully people anymore? Or does he want to go? Right. And that, if you think about that, that is how we kind of like, you know, remove the president. The president is a huge a-hole, you know, whether you're on the left or right, you know that the dude's a huge a-hole. And people finally were like, enough is enough. And I'm setting this boundary. This person can't act this way anymore. I'd love to know your advice for LinkedIn. If someone wants to get more engagement on their posts, or maybe their posts aren't doing as well, what tips would you give them? Oh, well, first I'd say this, which I, I, I think I shared with you earlier is so Half a billion people are on LinkedIn. 500 million people are on LinkedIn. From last uh, studies done by LinkedIn, they have found only 3 million people are posting content on LinkedIn. Only three out of the 500. And of the 3 million posting content, many of them are not posting their own content. They're just resharing someone else's stuff. So there's such an opportunity on LinkedIn to do that. So advice on, on posting is first like... I tell this to people all the time, let go of the results. Like don't like have some compassion for yourself right now. Just get in the mode of just creating for creating sake, just consistently post your own stuff and just see how that goes and have fun with it. Just have fun with it. Right. And then 
if you want to build other relationships with other people, then comment on their stuff. Like start building relationships with other people and being like, hey, I love your stuff. Oh, you should check out some of my stuff. Just like start building relationships. You know, I know some people that also have things where they're like, they have like their LinkedIn friends that they reach out to and go, hey, I just posted something that I really loved. Can you reshare it? So you could also build a network of people that could look out for you that way. And that also really helps at the beginning. But really the most important part is to just fall in love with the creation process and let go of how many people are following you at this point because it's so early for so many people. Like give yourself at least six months to a year before you finally recognize that. What is it, Mr. Beast? Huge YouTuber, probably one of the most you know successful YouTubers. Uh, was doing an interview and he goes, you know, people forget that I was making videos in 2015 and getting 50 views, 300 views. Like I made content. I did not go out. I did not like do all these other things. I just made content for five years straight without anyone paying attention. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk said the same thing when he made his his wine library YouTube uh, video of a YouTube show. It was a, he made a thousand episodes. I don't think anyone watched the first five hundred episodes, but he just kept doing it. So again, it's all about consistency, but consistency from a state of like enjoying it. If you don't enjoy it, then stop doing it. But if you do enjoy it, follow that inner curiosity and see where that takes you. Mm-hmm. And what is something that you're learning right now? I'm learning something from my friend, Angie Cole, who's this phenomenal coach. Untaming the Wild is the organization she runs. And she's teaching me a lot about masculine leadership and feminine leadership and masculine energy and feminine energy, right? And when you're in your masculine, a lot of it is results oriented. It's very to-do list it's very like, we got to get this done and we got to slay the dragon, right? While feminine leadership or feminine energy is more about like adapting. It's more playful, actually. It's, it's more organic. It's more following your curiosity. And, and, and it's important to have both. But I think for a lot of times we've been forced to act in our masculine, you know, and be like, we got to, you know, be consistent And I remember Angie saying like, actually she considers consistency some toxic masculinity bullshit. Like consistency in the sense of like, you have to be a robot and you have to produce, you know, every day and you have to post five five pieces, you know, every week and you got to do all this stuff. And she's like, no, like consistency is like, what are the things that I'm doing that that nurture um, and feed myself so that I love my work more? You know, what do I do at the beginning of my day that actually frames my day in a positive way? I know my friend Desiree taught me that, you know, when she asked herself, you know, how can it get any better than this? Her day is so much better. Meaning like something good happens and she goes, how can it get any better than this? And then she does it from a curious standpoint and she primes her brain to look for other cool patterns, right? Like, ooh, how can it get any better than this? I just saw Biden, you know, win an election. Ooh, how can it get any better than this? Now I'm on this super dope podcast. How can it get any better than this? I get to hang out with my family later and we get to celebrate this election. You know, it's just like priming your brain, right? And following that. And, you know, when Angie was talking about like, be careful of, of falling victim to, again, what you should do. 
Be careful not to should on yourself and be like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Who is telling you this supposed to? Who is saying you should? It is your inner critic or it's someone that doesn't know your life. Even your parents, as much advice as they're giving you, if it doesn't resonate with you, you don't have to take it. Same thing with me. Like, you know, I, this might all be bullshit to you. If it doesn't resonate with you, feel free to ignore it. But if it does, then that's really you speaking to you, right? So what's powerful about what you're doing on this podcast is you're gathering all these really important stories of people, you know, their own shit shows, but by them sharing their own story, it's giving permission for all these other people to be like, wow, my life was also a shit show, but it's also dope at the same time. I also can navigate this and be super awesome. Even though there's shit all around me, I still can create something that would not be possible if I didn't follow my own curiosity. And what is something lighting you up right now? I mean, talking to you is super dope. Um, <laughs> uh, man, I mean, I got to be honest, the election, the, uh, the idea that for the last four years, I felt like I've been in, you know, or we've been in an abusive relationship with someone and now like all of that falls by the wayside. But I think the reason why it like lights me up so much is because it begs the question, what's possible, right? Like, I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is that Kamala Harris is the VP, right? And that the first woman ever to hold that position is a black woman, is a black Asian Indian woman, right? Like, that's a huge thing that, that, you told her or, or anyone, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they might not think that was even doable, right? A hundred years ago, they definitely think that wasn't doable. So it, may, it makes you question like, what is actually possible? What's actually possible in my life? What could I accomplish? Because when Kamala first, you know, came on the scene, she probably didn't even know that this was a possibility. She's, you know, she, I was in the Bay Area. So I remember watching her career. She was San Francisco district attorney. From there, she became attorney general in California. From there, she became a senator representing California. Like, she didn't know that this could have been it but she dreamed that it could be possible, right? And who knows, in a few years, maybe she's president or maybe she gives permission by just simply being the VP for all these other women to take over that role. Not the role of VP, but the role of president, right? Because we've had enough dudes. We've had so many dudes. <laughs> like it's time to not have a dude, all right? <laughs> we've done the dudes, right? Then the, we're done with that. Imagine what someone that's able to balance their masculine and feminine energy you know, like, look at the New Zealand prime minister, ran COVID better than anyone else in the entire world. And she did it from a place of empathy, from a place of, of adaptability, not like, not sitting so much in her masculine, but being powerful in her feminine leadership. And she is probably one of the greatest leaders right now in the, in the world, right? So that lights me up, that that is possible. And that there's a lot of people that right now are watching, or a lot of kids right now that are watching television being like, wow, maybe I can be the next president. And what is something that keeps you grounded? Ooh, somebody asked me this before. Not taking myself too seriously. Like not like, what keeps me grounded is when I'm hanging out with my friends and they're making fun of me. You know, right? Like, 
you know, or when, when I'm wearing my Lego bow tie and making really stupid TikToks just for myself. They're just entertaining to me, but it also reminds me like, I don't need to take anything that seriously. I started wearing a Lego bow tie to a lot of my conferences because I realized that everyone was wearing a costume. Everyone was pretending to be someone that they weren't. And I was like, well, I might as well wear this stupid bow tie as a way to mock this because I just find this to be absurd anyway. We're all pretending. And I realized by simply wearing that, I gave permission for all these other people to be like, oh, I don't need to be so serious around this guy. And I started having these really interesting conversations with people where they were super nerdy conversations because they were like, look at the guy with the Lego bow tie. He's not taking himself seriously. So maybe I don't have to as much. So that keeps me grounded. And also just reminding myself, and I think you said this on a podcast is it was that person that you learned that um, you were taking some class that actually helped you pass some Mm -hmm. course and mm-hmm. and you said that that person passed away and and they never yeah. will know the legacy that they had and that also keeps me grounded of like what does this converse what ripple effect may this conversation have what ripple effect will your podcast have look back at this podcast and like tears and imagine everyone that will be affected by that like there's something really powerful and humbling about that that long after you're gone you still will have this, like no one can take this away from you. And that is really a great thing to think about of like, what makes me come alive and how do I want to have an impact on this world just today? How do I want to show up today fully and actually take risks and be more of me? And what's something that most people don't know about you? Ooh, most people don't know. Most people don't know that... I'm black and Filipino. I'm, I'm actually, my dad is from St. Vincent, small island off the coast of Barbados, 100,000 people. My mom's from a small, like rural town in the Philippines, like super poor, um, and that they met in Minnesota in, in an operating room. She was the uh, attending nurse and he was the doctor on call. And the likelihood that these two people would meet from opposite, you know, tropical countries and meet in the cold tundra of, of uh, St. Paul, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic, it's just like, it's unfathomable. So, yeah, I think about that whenever I'm like, who am I? I'm, I'm a product of those two dope, awesome individuals. And if you could go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? just be, be more of you, like expend all of your time figuring that out, figuring out who you are and just explore your curiosity and do it without judgment, right? And when you do it without judgment, keep asking yourself, who am I trying to impress? And if you're trying to impress someone that you won't care about in a year, then just Forget them, dude, because you don't, they're not needed in your life. And just like, just pursue the things that bring you joy and fulfillment and see where that takes you. Because it's going to bring you to a place that you never thought was possible. And it's going to bring you to a career where you actually feel like you're making a massive impact on the world. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> one last thing. Can I, can I goodwill hunt mm-hmm. your, your people before I? Yeah. 
Do you, do you remember Goodwill Hunting? Did you ever see the movie? Okay. No. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say it quickly. Goodwill Hunting stars Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. It was actually their first movie. And the reason why, this is talk about taking risks, right? No one was booking them for any movie roles. So they made up their own movie. And they were able to get Robin Williams on the movie. And then they won, an, they won so many awards for it. And that's how they became world-renowned actors, right? Because they took a risk and just created their own thing because no one was giving them the opportunity. So they had to create it themselves. But that's not the story. The story is in the movie Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon is this genius that basically can have a job anywhere, but he doesn't want to do that. So he's hanging out at the end of the movie with Ben Affleck at this construction site. And Ben's like, hey, you're going to take one of these jobs that can pay you whatever, you know, whatever you want. And Matt's like, no, you know, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to work construction. Um, And we're going to, you know, raise our kids in Foley Field together. And Ben turns him and he goes, if I see you here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. I am going to kill you. And Matt's like, what are you talking about? What, I owe it to myself? And he's like, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. And you owe it to all these other people at this construction site that would give anything anything to have what you have you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket but you're too scared to cash it in and each and every one of your listeners is sitting on a winning lottery ticket and all they need to do is figure out how to actually cash it in and show up so that is my challenge to your listeners how do you actually want to show up and start to build you know the legacy and the impact that you want in this world And where can people connect with you? You can go to my website, rediscoveryourplay.com and simply click the let's play button. um, And we can have a conversation and I can help, you know, you actually rediscover who you are through play. So I hope to be able to connect with you. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes, please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.